X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Friday, May 14th. Today, back in the day, on May 14th, 1796, Dr. Edward Jenner administered the first ever smallpox vaccine in England. In the 18th century, smallpox was extremely contagious and deadly, killing anywhere from 10 to 20% of the population, depending where there were outbreaks. Having noticed that milkmaids were generally immune to smallpox, he hypothesized that it was their exposure to cowpox that protected them. He tested this theory on his gardener's son, an eight-year-old boy using pus from a cowpox blister. The boy got a slight fever, but didn't suffer a full-blown infection. Inoculation was already prevalent in Asian medicine, but it carried greater risks as the methods often led to people becoming carriers of the disease they were trying to prevent. In the West, Jenner is often called the father of immunology due to his work stemming from this discovery. And today, back in the day on May 14, 2011, the Portland Timbers faced the Seattle Sounders for the first time in the MLS. The rivalry had started back in 1975 when the Timbers joined the NASL. The teams have played over 120 times in their history, with the most recent one coming just last weekend, where Seattle won 2-1. After various incarnations in different leagues, Portland finally joined the MLS in 2011. The Timbers traveled to Seattle to play in the pouring rain in front of a record crowd of over 36,000 people. Mamadou Footy Danso scored the only goal for the Timbers as the teams played to a 1-1 draw. The rivalry has only intensified in the decades since, with both teams winning MLS championships and advancing to the finals multiple times. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Alex Zelinsky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. The head of the Office of Community and Civic Life has left today amidst reports of widespread abuse and mismanagement within the department. On Thursday, Department Head Suk Lee and Commissioner Joanne Hardesty released a joint statement saying that Lee would be vacating her position. However, there was no mention of the allegations of the Office of Community and Civic Life face, including claims of unethical hiring practices, retaliation, and abusive managers. Hardesty began to investigate the department after a series of complaints surfaced, including four official reports to HR. She later said she had, quote, never experienced a workplace that was so hostile to its employees. An audit was later conducted to help Hardesty with her investigation, but the city refused to release its results to the public. They argued that the firm that had performed the audit was meant to offer legal advice and that publicizing the audit would violate attorney-client privilege. Earlier this week, we reported Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Schmidt determined that the city had no cause to suppress the audit's results. He requested the city release the audit, quote, promptly. There's been no word from the city on when they plan to make the audit public. And Commissioner Hardesty has yet to announce the new head of community and civic life. Your daily dose of data 
The Oregon Health Authority reported 733 new and presumptive COVID cases yesterday. The total number of cases now sits at 193,732. There were also 14 new COVID-related deaths. Oregon now has a total of 2,572 deaths. The CDC has announced that fully vaccinated Americans no longer need to wear masks indoors or outdoors. The startling announcement came during Thursday's media briefing. According to the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, quote, based on the continuing downward trajectory of cases, the scientific data on the performance of our vaccines and our understanding of how the virus spreads a sense of normalcy has come for those who are fully vaccinated. To be clear, a person is considered to be fully vaccinated two weeks after their final dose. The CDC has reported that 35% of all Americans are completely vaccinated, which is well below the amount needed to achieve herd immunity. Dr. Walensky did stipulate that masks will still be required even for fully vaccinated people, on public transportation, and also advised people who are immune-compromised to consult their doctors before demasking. But even with these guidelines in place, the CDC is potentially risking another nationwide surge, which would likely hit in the second half of summer. Critics of the CDC's announcement point to breakthrough infections, which are relatively rare, but occur when a person contracts COVID after getting vaccinated. They also worry that Americans could lie about being fully vaccinated and say the CDC's newest guideline will encourage people to take COVID less seriously. Despite these concerns, the CDC remains hopeful that they are moving the country in the right direction. According to Dr. Walensky, quote, we have all longed for this moment. Rent prices are increasing as bars and restaurants begin reopening. A marketing analyst named John Gillum has reported that rent in downtown, Northwest, and the Pearl District are rising again. According to Gillum, in inner Portland, rent is 1% higher now than it was before the pandemic. Gillum attributes the increase to Portland reopening and says, quote, as downtown opens back up and the vaccine is widely distributed, we may see downtown rebound exponentially. Gillum has also noticed a surge of people who are returning to Portland. Many of these people chose to move to the suburbs to feel safer during the pandemic, but are now returning to the city as COVID cases decrease. Oregonians living in suburban areas have also faced their share of rent hikes, where in some places rent has increased from $1,400 to $1,600 a month. Gillum expects rent to continue climbing in downtown, even as many Portland tenants are already behind on their rent. In fact, a recent PSU study has found that Oregonians currently owe hundreds of millions of dollars in back rent. The mayor of Camas, Barry McDonnell, unexpectedly resigned earlier this week. McDonnell won the position in October of 2019. As a write-in candidate, he beat the incumbent, Shannon Turk, after jumping into the race only a month before the election. In his resignation statement, McDonald cited work-life balance as an issue, saying, quote, Over the last few months, it has become clear to me that the needs of this council, city, and community 
are such that balancing a full-time job and family while running the day-to-day operations as mayor in our form of government is not sustainable for me. His term was set to end in 2023. Mayor Pro Tem Ellen Burton will take on the role in the interim as the city staff decides how to fill the vacancy. Two Lake Oswego parents are suing Snapchat over their son's death in June 2020. 16-year-old Carson Bride took his own life last year after enduring months of cyberbullying. The teen received anonymous messages on the apps YOLO and LMK, talking about things that happened in school and explicit sexual comments. Snap, the parent company, has suspended the app while they investigate the claims. Carson's parents claim he spent his final days trying to figure out who was harassing him. The lawsuit claims that, quote, negligence by the apps, quote, caused Carson's wrongful death. Two psychologists who treated Carson believe his suicide was caused by cyberbullying. The class action lawsuit aims to represent all U.S. residents between the ages of 13 and 17 that have been using Snapchat since at least 2018. And finally, some good news. Adriana Franch, the Thorns FC goalkeeper, was named Player of the Week in the NWSL. The award comes on the heels of last Saturday's victory in the Challenge Cup Finals. French made a huge save on Gotham FC's Naomi Kawasumi in the seventh round of the penalty kick shootout. That let Morgan Weaver seal the title with the next kick. French also won the Challenge Cup Championships Player of the Match Award. She only allowed three goals in a five-game tournament. This caps French's comeback after recovering from knee surgery in 2020. This is her sixth year with the Thorns and the latest of many accolades in her career. She's been the NWSL Goalkeeper of the Year twice and CONCACAF's Best Goalkeeper in 2017, the year she led the Thorns to the NWSL title. She also represented the U.S. in their World Cup championship run in 2019. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Coming up next, DJ Ambush and Morgan Jones speak with Alex Zelinsky of the Portland Mercury about the impending expiration of the eviction moratorium on June 30th, as well as the options moving forward for both tenants and landlords. Right now, any Oregonians who have been unable to pay rent because of the pandemic effects will be required to pay back any missed payments on July 1st. That's because the COVID-19 eviction moratorium ends on June 30th. However, there is a bill currently advancing through Oregon legislature that could push the grace period to repay skipped rent until February 28th of 2022. That sounds good. Here with the latest on the story is Alex Zelensky from the Portland Mercury. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So, Importantly, this bill would not extend the current eviction moratorium. So how exactly will it help renters? Yeah, well, the intention is that it will just lessen the burden of unpaid rent um, that's been accruing for folks who haven't been able to pay during the pandemic because it won't expect uh, demand uh, tenants to pay 
you know, hundreds of dollars that they may have not paid in rent on all in one day. Um, right now, the there's kind of a um, unrealistic expectation that <laughs> if you know people weren't able to pay rent for any of the months in the past year or so since you know April 2020, that they um, you know have it accumulated by now that they have saved up enough money to be able to pay back all of that. Um, when in reality, you know, as we know, the pandemic isn't over and the crisis, the economic crisis caused by the pandemic is far from over. People haven't, are still struggling to find work, are still, you know, um, trying to, to make sure they're, uh, to balance childcare and to balance, mm-hmm. um, you know, other responsibilities with, uh, work during a pandemic and, and, you know, cash is, is hard to come by. And so, this will allow folks more time to hopefully pinch together enough money to pay back missed rent. At the same time, the idea from the state legislature is that with this extra, uh, you know, grace period of seven extra months, um, it'll give time for money that's been promised through the federal government, mm-hmm. um, through the uh, kind of COVID relief act, um, It'll give time for that to, you know, reach Oregon and be dispersed in ways that can help those tenants who might not have that money to pay back be for, you know, realistic reasons. Um, and so in some ways, it's kind of counting on its lawmakers deciding not to extend the eviction moratorium, but uh, extend the the time where before it will be painful for renters who can't actually pay for it. Um, because, I mean, the eviction, the, the moratorium still lists July 30th, which means, or June 30th, which means mm-hmm. that on July 1st, rent is due uh, for everyone. There's, you know, and that that's still a uh, tricky reality for some people who still haven't been able to find a good paying job mm-hmm. or have other debts that have been accrued over the, the pandemic. Well, Alex, didn't all of those people that were on unemployment just become rich because there was so much free money being given out? And so they right, should just have course. it to pay the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what right do you now, mean these leading. people don't have money? Come they, on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you give yeah, us an so. idea of how many Oregonians are behind on rent? Because this is this is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. There's a. Uh, Right now, there's there's a study that was done at the end of last year from um, uh, the Community Alliance of Tenants, which is kind of a statewide tenant group um, that surveyed just a little under 500 Oregonian renters uh, to see kind of what their current status were. And only 35% of renters had missed rent payments during the pandemic. Um, and hadn't paid them back yet, which I say only because, you know, it's still, it shows that people, majority of people, even if you are cash strapped, even if times are hard, are going to want to pay rent. Yes. People are still paying rent because at the end of the day, folks do not want to get evicted right. and they don't, you know, they're looking out for their future selves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, a piece of this story that's also important that a lot of people have been able or been paying rent but they've been doing so by um, by borrowing money from friends or family, from mm-hmm. you know, taking uh, using credit cards. Like, there's still going to be 
um, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be uh, a burden, financial burden down the road for folks who, who are paying rent um, if they're taking out a lot of loans to, to do so. Um, at the beginning of this year, um, another study found that uh, Oregon tenants collectively owed between, let's see, $249 million Mm-hmm. and $378 million in unpaid rent uh, as of January 2021. Yikes. Which is also another way to measure it. And a lot. It's a lot of money. <laughs> um, another interesting study, and some numbers to throw out there, um, Portland State University's Homeless Research uh, and Action Collaborative, uh, a research group, um, did a, put out a study also in the beginning of this year estimated that it would cost uh, public about 3.3 billion to um, respond to this this crisis if there if if the rent isn't kind of erased and if rent debt isn't erased um, you know by the state by the time the eviction moratorium lifts basically saying um, there's still going to be a lot of burden on the social safety net and, um, you know, hospital costs to people mm-hmm. who've been uh, maybe evicted, different, you know, supports that, that the public are going to have to pitch in for um, in if, if there isn't any kind of bigger financial support from the federal government or state government to um, make up for, for this coming uh, expected wave of evictions and debt. Mm. Alex, uh, what have renters' experiences been like? Do landlords tend to be sympathetic? <laughs> yeah, you know, we've uh, heard anecdotally from a number of, of renters that um, if they tell their landlords that they're not able to pay rent for a few months because maybe they've lost their job or they just have other reasons related to the, you know, the the current crisis that they're not able to pay, um, some landlords uh, um, who are frustrated that they cannot uh, evict the tenant because of that, <laughs> because of the, the the moratorium, they find other ways to kind of harass a tenant mm-hmm. in a, in um, a, a term that tenants' rights folks call uh, trying to to get tenants to to self evict basically um, <laughs> trying to make their living situation untenable and uncomfortable so that landlord can still get rid of that tenant. And that, you know, that could look like just straight up harassment, verbal harassment. Um, that could be, you know, uh, new weird rules and restrictions um, around basic rent things that were part of the contract. Uh, it could mean penalties for or, or not responding to, to requests for maintenance needs. That seemed to be a big one. Um, and and also just uh, kind of un, uh, unnecessarily complaining um, at tenants that they didn't pay their, their rent and saying <laughs> that, you know, oh, I don't think you are in as financial um, a crisis as you say you are. Wow. Um, you should be paying me. <laughs> oh, my so there word. is a there is an uptick in harassment that's been noted by tenants' rights groups, and um, uh, yeah, kind of shows that 
you know, at the end of the day, some landlords just still just really would want to prioritize the, the financial side of that work. Mm. Mm. Not shocking, but definitely still always disappointing. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it seems like extending this grace period is the primary focus of this bill, but does it include any other provisions that we should know about or be aware of? Yeah, it adds a few things that still that help the general have the the, the general idea of protecting people um, who've been in, impacted by the pandemic financially, who are renters, and that includes um, barring kind of uh, landlords from rejecting rental applications uh, from pr- a prospective tenant if their that tenant's records show that they weren't able to pay rent during the COVID pandemic. So in the future, if a tenant is applying for, you know, an apartment somewhere and uh, a landlord's not allowed to say, oh, you, you have a, you know, bad record because you, you suffered during this crisis and were able to pay rent, I'm not going to rent to you. Um, that can't be used as a reason. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, another piece of the bill is that it, it um, prevents a tenant's credit score from being impacted by non-payment of rent mm. during the pandemic, um, which I think is a big That's deal huge. for a lot of folks. Yeah. Especially when it comes to trying to rent again. Yes. Kind of helping, in many ways, the bill helps kind of uh, protect and safeguard tenants who were impacted during this time um, and uh, allowing them to continue to to have access to um, to housing opportunities. Um, another another piece kind of impacted or related specifically to the pandemic is um, that rent or some some landlords um, prohibit or bar their tenants from having guests or having people um, stay at uh, renters' place um, for a prolonged period of time. It mm-hmm. might be part of the contract, uh, but this bill allows that to happen, allows for doubling up or allows for, you know, if a family, if your family had to come stay with you for a while because of, or, you know, friends because of their own COVID impacted kind of financial problems or because of, um, you know, the wildfires last year, there were a lot of families doubling up with each other and sharing space. Um, That can't be a reason to be evicted. Uh, even if it goes against, you know, that landlord's contract. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these these are all, I'm sorry, I'm so on edge because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's terrifying to hear about um, people prioritizing, you know, profits over people yep. and mm-hmm. uh, prioritize, you know, just, oh man, I, I want... I want these things to happen. I'm happy that the that we're paying attention to the extraneous things too, you mm-hmm. know, and setting people up for success down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alex, uh, last December, Oregon created the Landlord Compensation Fund, which was to help tenants during the pandemic. But many landlords did not want to take advantage of it. Why not? Yeah. Well, the Landlord Compensation Fund, um, the policy itself covers if a, uh, a landlord signs up for it, it covers 80% of any rent that they, um, that landlords did not collect during mm. the pandemic because of their um, tenant decision to, to not pay because of financial hardships. 
so the state would pay back 80% of lost rent as long as um, those landlords agreed to forgive the remaining 20%. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways a win-win or a success for, for tenants because that means that they have their, their debt, their rent debt is erased. Um, and uh, for landlords, they get back a, a good majority of um, their lost rent. But a lot of landlords are not willing to settle for 80% and they're not <laughs> and they're not comfortable um, saying you know no to 20% of those I don't want that 20% dollars. anymore <laughs> yeah and it's not mandatory either so you know if a, re- if a tenant says hey you should sign up for this you know or it's like kind of nudges their landlord to do it there's no requirement or mandate that a landlord will so it's just kind of uh, trusting that you have a benevolent landlord um that would you know be okay with that 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 will do the right thing for you yeah (laughs) and you know a number of them have signed up and you know that that money is going out the door so there are that is another way that rent's being forgiven for some people um but it's truly by choice for for landlords okay landlords we see you (laughs) (laughs) Alex, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Definitely. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks to Alex for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. And a special thanks to our production team, executive editor Will Romy, supporting editors and writers John Collier, Nebraska Lucas, Joey McClone, Brian Miller, Carlos Molina, Julia Oppenheimer, Carly Quadros, Miranda Selinger, and Ryder Sherwood. Thanks for original journalism and research by the Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, COVID19.healthdata.org, the Historical Society, Portland Tribune, Portland Business Journal, KGW, The Willamette Week, COIN, Pamphlet Media, OPB, K2, The Oregonian, Statesman Journal, and our news partners, The Portland Mercury, Street Roots, Bike Portland, and Meter Portland. Hey, and also, we want to thank Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.